Welcome to the season three premiere of Tell Me About Your Father, now on iHeartRadio and Amazon Music. This is our pop culture and news review and sometimes advice show daddy issues where we talk about dads, both literal and metaphorical in pop culture and current affairs. I'm Matthew Philp. I'm Erin Hosier. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. As we say goodbye to summer in the Northern Hemisphere, we thought it would be cleansing and cathartic to take a look back at who the notable dads of the last four months were. It's an episode that we're calling These Are the Dads of Our Lives. Like sands through the hourglass. These are the dads of our lives. Summer edition. Wow. <laughs> Who were the fathers that led by example? Who were the fathers that disappointed and embarrassed us in public? Who were the fathers who withdrew us from the turmoil in Afghanistan without what appears to have been a coherent plan for keeping those stuck inside while the Bronze Age horror of the Taliban ascended to power? Well, here they are in a non-linear thematic order. Yeah. Actually, before we do that, hi, you guys. It's our third season and we're here again. How were your breaks? (sighs) Oh, man. (laughs) It's just gone so fast these three months. And Matt, you've had a tough one. I had my gallbladder out, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's been great. It was everything you could hope for in the middle of summer, especially the summer where you're no longer locked inside. So you can't go in the sun, you can't go swimming, can't eat anything. Everything makes you tired. It's the best. If you can ever do it, please do. I suspect (laughs) that you will be delighted. But all that is to say that this is like the first episode that I'm going to do and then the last for like a few months and probably till November while I just like pull myself together and finish recovery. But we will still hear your voice, the voice of the show, which... The Tell Me About Your Father family... That's be part right. of the family. Because we're part of a family team. Just like Capital One this is. This is a family. It's just like a family. Yeah. You know what I learned this summer? Well... A lot of things, including that whenever an employer tells you that you're like family, it means you're working in a toxic environment. Yes, it's an immediate red flag. You know what I mean? So if you, listener, if you're listening and somebody's ever, a boss, a coworker has ever said, well, you know, we're like a family here, go. Yeah, because it could be dysfunctional. That's right. And we know dysfunctional families better than anyone, don't we? That's right. That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're going to start sort of at the end of the spring. Mm-hmm. Remember when we were doing Daddy Issues and one of our big shows was, of course, on Britney Spears mm-hmm. and her ongoing battle um, for freedom from her father, Jamie Spears, who has been in charge of her person and her money since 2008. Jamie Spears, her father, had been in a, a legal battle this summer. I think right where we left off was at the end, mid-June, right? End of June. We were closing out Pride Month. Well, mm-hmm. literally probably like a couple days later after we published our last Daddy Issues, a judge, Judge Brenda Penny, whose name is now burned into my mind because I've said right. it so many times <laughs> on this damn podcast. I literally picture, I picture like a pen, like Brenda, like a penny with like an 80s perm and like a smart pump. And shoulder yeah, pads. Wearing a ro- judge's robe. So the summer starts out on a disappointing note for Britney Spears with a judge ruling that her dad should stay on as her conservator. 
as we've done an entire episode on this back in February, the internet was ablaze, if you will, with reactions to a New York Times documentary that came out called Framing Britney Spears that really went into how deeply disturbing the conservatorship is that she's under via her dad and sort of everything that she's gone through. And after that documentary came out in February, we started to learn publicly about the really dark details of what this meant, including her father and someone else who was in place with her father having control over everything to do with her finances. And then as far as having an IUD in so that she wouldn't get pregnant. So like really kind of disturbing dystopian weird stuff happening let's also blame the courts here because this will come up a little later when we talk texas it's really the state in concert with her father to keep her under control there's no bigger sort of like example of the fact that the american justice system operates very differently for men and women than what happened on the same day of june 30th in which brenda penny said no jamie's gonna stay on as your conservator even though all of this horrendous stuff has come out about what this means for you bill cosby the same day Mm. on june 30th Bill Cosby, so pivoting from Jamie Spears to another extremely disturbing public father, is released from jail. His sexual misconduct conviction is overturned by Pennsylvania Supreme Court. He had been accused, I think, by 60 women of sexual misconduct, including drugging them and raping them, amongst other accusations. 60, six, zero women. Well, but all of them are clearly lying. That's what we've learned. (laughs) All of them were. Because Bill Cosby is really the victim here. Um, But I think, Erin, to your point about the justice system, so I found a Guardian article that came out, I think that week, the writer was named Arwa Madawi, and she talks about this being the sort of perfect example of America's, quote, tale of two justice systems. The sub-headline, or the sub-head for those in the media industry, of this piece is... Cosby becoming a free man on the same day Spears lost her latest battle to free herself from a man's control is almost too on the nose. I thought that this paragraph about who the legal system protects and who doesn't was really excellent. I'm going to read it. She writes, on the same day that Cosby walked free, a judge in Los Angeles denied Britney Spears' request to be set free from her father's control. The 39-year-old's father, Jamie Spears, will remain a co-conservator of her estate under an arrangement Spears has called, quote, abusive, and will continue to make decisions about her life. Let's just pause for a moment and try to imagine a situation where the sexes were reversed and a 39-year-old male celebrity was under the legal control of his mother. Let's try and imagine a situation where a 39-year-old male celebrity was deemed fit enough to work but not fit enough to make decisions about his reproductive choices. I can't quite imagine that, can you? Indeed, as many people have pointed out, Kanye West has had a high-profile mental breakdown, just like Spears. (laughs) Rather than being put under a conservatorship, he went on to run for president. And start his own church. Well, fast forward a little bit into the summer. Things have slightly improved or there is more hope on the horizon. And clearly Jamie Spears listened to our February episode on the Free Britney movement and has been thinking about it because he did agree in July to relinquish control of his daughter's finances. Sort of agreed to relinquish control. He made a statement that said he would, you know, be willing to, quote, when the time is right, step aside 
and ensure an orderly transition to a new conservator, but offered no timeline as to what that would actually look like. Well, earlier this week, Brittany's lawyer, Matthew S. Rosengart, called bullshit on this sort of loosey-goosey agreement to step aside from Jamie. He said it's time for him to make good on this claim and that he needs to stop trying to, quote, extort his daughter. So Rosengart is apparently saying that Jamie Spears is demanding $2 million in payments to pay his own legal team and former business manager, as well as just to get some praise for the handling of his daughter's disastrous dark conservatorship. Jamie Spears' idea of orderly, as in the orderly transition he promised, is to hang on until someone first brands him, quote, father of the year, and awards him a gold star for his service, mm. said Mr. Mm. Rosengart. Mm. In other words, although Mr. Spears has at last been forced to recognize that it is best for his daughter if he departs now, he claims the right to drag his feet because it is best for him to cling to this conservatorship until he feels sufficiently vindicated. Boom! Mr. Rosengart, can you tell I'm reading this? Uh, Rosengard has asked Judge Brenda Penny to remove him as her conservator at the next hearing, which is at the end of September. And he said that this would be the legally correct and decent and graceful thing to do. So we hope that that happens. We hope that Brenda can channel her grace as a sentient penny wearing pumps and allow <laughs> this to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, he also had to get in a dig saying that when the truth comes out, we will all know how he was really kind of a hero. And because her drug use and mental illness is so far beyond, you know, what we, the public, are hearing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm really glad that she got a new lawyer who does seem to know what he's doing and is easy on the eyes. Yeah, and you, and you know he's good because Courtney Love posted on Instagram about how he's one of the best in L.A. and she's heard great things. And who knows L.A. lawyers better than Courtney Love? That's right? the thing. She had a law firm for many years, I know, as, she you, did. as you of course know. <laughs> she did. Most of her time is spent hiring the lawyers, so she knows them all back to front. I was psyched that he never agreed to work with Courtney. So to me, that's professional. That's That's, actually a great point, Erin. That's a green flag. Just that she's a fan of his, not the other way around. But going back to Cosby, Mm. it's important to note that he was let out on a technicality because it wasn't those 60 women that got him put behind bars for rape. Andrea Constant, who is a hero, Mm -hmm. and he admitted to drugging her and raping her. Cosby's lawyers had argued that his decision to sit for a deposition hinged on a promise of immunity from a district attorney at the time, and it was therefore improper to have his statements used against him in a criminal trial. And so he got out of prison because he was promised by the former prosecutors, no longer in their positions, that he would never be charged for these crimes if he admitted to it in a civil suit back then fair mm-hmm. and so fair. that's what yeah. we're talking about but the overall point is that it is our hunch at tell me about your father that the so-called consequences for me too and times up type behaviors are going to be slim to none mm-hmm. good old louis ck back on the road this summer playing right. sold out shows to madison square garden a yeah. number of men in our list today are in fact 
suffering that same consequenceless fate. So yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. Once again, for the people in the back, cancel culture is drum roll, please. Not, Not real. Our friend Joshua Lyon gave me a copy of Bill Cosby's book, Fatherhood. It's canon. So there's a little section in here that I wanted to just point out. It's called Help from a Second Opinion. You other fathers will be happy to learn I just found a way for you to exploit this juvenile frenzy to own everything that was ever made. At the peak of Michael Jackson's fame, when I had girls of six and ten who lived amid Jackson paraphernalia, I discovered that I could use him as a proxy disciplinarian. Michael Jackson loves all his fans, but Mm -hmm. he has a special feeling for the ones who eat broccoli, I said one night at dinner, and two of his fans quickly swallowed both that story and broccoli too. You don't have to say both and two. Also, there should be a comma after broccoli. (laughs) You girls know Michael Jackson's great big eyes, I said to them at another meal. His anti-vegetarian fan club smiled. God, what a labored line. Well, they were tiny until he started eating Brussels sprouts, I said. The problem with this was that this bond to Michael Jackson was also putting pressure on me. Dad, you know people like Michael Jackson, one of my daughters said. Take us to his house. I'd love to, I said, but he's in Europe. Then take us to Europe. And what will you do when you meet him? Thank him for the Brussels sprouts? No, I will die. Well, I don't want you to die. Oh, I'm not going to die. Then why did you say that? Dad, it's a figure of speech. What would you do if you saw him? I'd pass out. Ominous. For the record, I never found Bill Cosby funny. I remember my stepfather, we were watching him, and like he's talking on the phone on an episode, and my stepfather goes, see that, how he's talking on the phone? There's nobody at the end of that phone, you know? He's just acting. And I was like, that's that's the thing that impresses you about him? Okay. Clearly that broccoli incident just simply did not happen. You can tell from the way that it's written. There's no there's no Michael Jackson wants you to eat his vegetables, and then they listen. No. Especially a 10-year-old wouldn't fall for that. I don't believe that. No way. Not even in the 80s. Uh, yeah, so Aaron, White Lotus. White Lotus was the TV show with daddy issues that really carried us through this summer. It was only six hours, so six weeks of episodes, and it is, of course, the vehicle for ladies and gentlemen, Jennifer Coolidge, mm. our favorite actress who plays this canon character, Tanya McQuad, one of the very dysfunctional rich guests at the resort, The White Lotus, which follows the lives of the rich guests and the not rich employees who work there in Hawaii. And we get to meet a number of characters, but Centrally, a family led by uh, the character Mark, who's played by actor Steve Zahn, um, who's there with his two teenage children, his daughter's friend, and his wife, played by Connie Britton. And in the first episode, he finds out that his father, who died of cancer, didn't really die of cancer, he died of AIDS. And this is relevant because Steve Zahn himself believes that he has cancer and has just found out that he doesn't. And so the entire week of their vacation, he's kind of ruminating on what does it mean that I never knew my father, his true identity, 
he may have been a gay man, you know, like I think he talks to his uncle or a, a family friend and, and learns he had this other life. And so it follows his existential crisis as he tries to connect with his teenage son, Quinn, by telling Quinn that he cheated on Quinn's mom. There's other storylines going on, but everyone seemed to be talking about this summer and it kind of both reflected what we are all talking about right now, the great divide between the wealthy and white and the perhaps not as wealthy and powerful and non-white people in America. Mm-hmm. And it was a breakout performance from Murray Bartlett, who, like, this is the yeah. best work Murray Bartlett's ever done. He's done great work. He's a sort of an old friend of mine, and I've always admired his work, but I think this is, like, fundamentally the actor who played Armand, just, like, the best stuff he's ever done. It's so worth watching. He is at the center of the show and has many memorable scenes. White Lotus is a continuation of the great body of work by director, writer Mike White, who we know on HBO from the show Enlightenment that stars Laura Dern. He had a movie come out 20 years ago called Chuck and Buck that I love, School of Rock. He has an interesting father story, Mike does. His father, Mel White, was a speech and ghostwriter for such evangelical far-right Christian figures as Jerry Falwell, remember him? Pat Robertson, Billy Graham. And in his midlife, Mel accepted his long-repressed homosexuality, and he started a gay rights organization called Soul Force. And Mike and Mel remain very close. They went on the amazing race together, not (gasps) once, but twice as contestants. They did not win. But it's a sweet relationship. And I have noticed that gay themes, as they relate to fathers or one's own, like, questioning of what does it mean, no matter your age, it just appears in his work a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's very relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll play a clip, and I'm sorry we can't talk more about Tanya McQuad, who <laughs> is there to spread her mother's ashes. So, we're going to play a clip of Olivia Quinn and their friend Paula uh, telling Mark why he's homophobic. Your grandfather died of AIDS. How did he get AIDS? Apparently, Paula, he was having sex with other men. Who was? Your dad's dad. Why? Because he liked it. Why else? He was probably closeted. Or bisexual. Dad, why are you so upset, though? You're, like, catatonic. Well, it was a secret that was kept from him his entire life, Liv. So now, whatever image he had of his father, of his childhood, has been pulverized. You know, he was probably a bottom. That's how you mostly get it, receiving. Dad... Do you feel like your father was less of a man or something? He might have not been gay a lot of straight guys like Asplay. Yeah, maybe he was just too embarrassed to ask Grandma to use a dildo on him. Oh, Jesus! Can we not, please, I... Even if he wasn't a top, it doesn't mean he was femme. He could have still been butch, Dad. Maybe he was a bossy bottom. Yeah, maybe Grandpa was a power bottom. Does that make you feel better? No, the... Makes me want to throw up. Dad, you don't want to say that. 
Well, he can say whatever he wants. You know, if he's having a negative visceral reaction to his father having gay sex, it's valid. It's fine. Well, it comes off as homophobic. Well, it's not. Well, that's how it comes across. Well, luckily he's in a safe space and he's here with our family so he can come off however he wants. Up to a point. Or what? You'll cancel him, dox him, sick the K-pop fans on him? Those girls are frightening and amazing. They are frightening and amazing. I love those girls so much. They're so perfect. Allegedly based on the Red Scare hosts of the podcast, Red, the Red Scare. Ooh. Um, Is that right, Busy? Mm-hmm. Um, Mike White said he based those two on those ladies. The thing that I really liked about White Lotus, or especially just the Steve's on father dynamic is like his inability ultimately to connect with his son like he tries he gets really close yeah and his son in the end kind of has to go at it alone literally they're gonna go scuba diving together and a chain of events makes that not happen his son Mm -hmm. has to go alone and I felt a lot of sympathy for the character of that boy Quinn I know the internet was sort of torn about the portrayal or just feeling any sympathy for any of these characters but I felt like Quinn was a very tragic and familiar character as just a kind of teen adrift in a family yeah I thought he had it's easy to have sympathy for him like I mean he's a teenage boy so there's a limit there but like he did kind of like go through this arc that was he wanted to escape he said profound things about life you know yeah he does say profound things about life and I think the other thing was like painful or f- relatable I think watching it was how invisible you can feel at that age to adults you know you're not yeah. heard by your family or by other people and there are so many instances on the show where Quinn says things that go, you know, brushed off or not responded to at all, including his incredibly profound clip about the Australian wildfires that no one knows how to respond to at the dinner table. He asked them something like a billion species died in those flames. Where does all that pain go? And it's like yeah. such a, a really sad moment and everyone just sort of stares at him. He can't win. Really. He can't pour Quinn. And totally Aaron, like even though she is a character there, Tanya McQuad is struggling with her mother and not a father, so not technically appropriate for this list. I do think her character, some of the things she says is appropriate for a show, <laughs> which is like, I hate myself, you know? Yeah. Like she is she is an adult woman. She's she's an asshole. She is totally self She's an alcoholic. She's she an, tells, she's an she alcoholic. Says. She leads, you know, a wonderful hotel employee down the garden path. She's incredibly self-absorbed and yet that moment where she's meets the guy and she says, I don't want you to know how fucked up I really am is I felt it was yeah. incredibly relatable. The heart of the onion. The heart of the onion. onion. I don't want you to know how much my parents have destroyed my life, even though they're dead. There's this great um, scene where when Tanya is getting a massage or a guided (laughs) meditation by Belinda, and she has her chant, I am my vaginal father. (laughs) And And she's like, I am my vaginal father. I'm my own phallic mother. I'm my own phallic mother. I'm my own vaginal father. 
My own vaginal father? <laughs> so it's all in there. Yes. Satirically mm-hmm. and literally. Mm-hmm. And, and visually. It takes visually, you out of wherever you are and into Hawaii. They filmed it during lockdown at the Four Seasons in Maui, which makes me very jealous. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're the issues of Gen Z telling their parents from Gen X just exactly how to be a human being is reflected in another recent story in real life, <gasps> if you will. That's with right. Matt Damon, Matt. It's You're going to bring it's it true. bring it home. Amazing segue, Aaron. That it was really was elegant. Matt Damon is peak dad. He achieved peak dad, I think, during the summer when he came under fire after revealing in an interview to the Sunday Times that he'd made a joke that prompted his daughter to write him a persuading essay on why the word faggot for homosexual is harmful. The F word. The F word, rather. Whatever, it's faggot. He then tried to mitigate damages by saying that he never used the word, but it was common not too long ago. Thanks for teaching us there, Matt Damon. I think the thing that makes this like deep dad behavior for me is that it's like completely oblivious, myopic way of looking at something, but he's like confident that he can go out there and say this stuff and that it's not in fact weird or rude. Because he's also an actor, so people tell him what to say. He wouldn't have said it himself. No, Mm. and he clearly has said it. It's obvious that he would have said it. Well, he did grow up in Boston. It reminds me of this thing where straight men will make these short videos on like Twitter or whatever, and they'll be like, look, I just think it's really bad that people are mean to gay guys, right? A gay guy is like my best friend. And it's like... What you're really doing there is saying, I really demand that you congratulate me for not beating you up anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the basic level of humanity that everyone should expect from somebody, but they need accolades for it. And so this is what Matt Damon's kind of doing. Like, just shut up. Just don't say it. It's okay. Don't talk, Matt Damon. Like, it's fine. But I mean, then his daughter called him out, though, right? Yeah. So this, this is the reason he did it. Look, I mean, the nonsense that he's in any way being affected by this. He has untold millions, and he continues to enjoy a largely uninterrupted career as a Hollywood heavyweight A-lister. But I have to say, Matt Damon is really not the enemy he said something dumb because he's like straight and just kind of a whatever. He's never been me too'd. He's not like some freaked out attention whore. He does a lot of charity work. Like it was shitty and stupid, but who gives a fuck? There are other people that are worse than Matt Damon. I, I think the story is just more about those generational differences. Yes. I think he said this to the Times. He was giving an anecdote willingly to mm-hmm. the Times, promoting his movie, trying to say how proud he was of his teenage daughter, mm-hmm. who corrected him but was also so upset by the fact that he either used the F word as an example of how he would say it in a movie because he has had to before because 20 years ago it's part of the parlance. Mm -hmm. And so his daughter got very upset and went and wrote, by his definition, a treatise Mm -hmm. teaching her dad why he shouldn't say it and why... No one should have ever said it and why it's not cool to even act. You're allowed to say it 
it was a beautiful chef's kiss, like teenage daughter mm-hmm. kind of moment. Totally, yeah. Right. That's, I think you're that right. is it. Yes. You're right, Aaron, that that's what he was trying to get out of, like, oh, my daughter is so smart. Like, here is a guy yeah. who's literally telling on himself to the New York yeah. Times. He doesn't need, why would he share that with the media? He's probably, he's on a junket for We Bought a Zoo Part 4, Event Thank Horizon. God. Whatever the fuck his latest movie is called. It was the one where he was playing the father of the girl who... It was like a real life story and he got in trouble. In any case, that's... That he that was peak dad way. He told on himself. Like, that, yeah, the thing he shouldn't have done is deny it later. Yeah, like, in the stupid way that he denied it. Yeah. He should like oh I've never you girl, you just fucking said you did stop. Well, it reminds me a lot of his BFF Ben Affleck. Remember when Ben Affleck did the show on PBS about looking at your history and it was found that in his genealogy, he was descended from slave owners, and he tried to get that buried. Mm-hmm. And that was another time that Matt Damon had to like step in and be like, "Come on, guys, my friend Ben is really cool. He's he's a nice guy." Mm-hmm. But anyway, Ben Affleck is in the news again. Another dad of the summer. What a summer dad! Okay, so he's back with J-Lo after 20 years. We started the summer. She was still engaged to Alex Rodriguez, who she's been with for four years. She had a blended family with her two kids with Mark Anthony, with A-Rod's, I believe, two or three kids. And then it all escalated so quickly that by June, A-Rod was out, and Ben Affleck and J-Lo were back together. 20 years after they'd broken up. And then, just a month ago, J-Lo and Ben were on a yacht in Saint-Tropez for J-Lo's 52nd birthday, and A-Rod was in the same body of water outside Saint-Tropez in a much smaller yacht (laughs) with random booby women. Smaller Mm -hmm. yacht booby women. And it's embarrassing and strange And just this week, for some reason, confirmed gambling addict, alcoholic, Ben Affleck, just put out a commercial for his new gambling app starring Lupe, Jennifer Lopez's mother, in the ad. The two of them gambling in Vegas. I don't know how this all escalated so quickly, it feels really irresponsible and weird and gross because we expect all this stuff from movie stars in their 20s and 30s, but it feels this is like... really gross. The grossest thing about it is A-Rod, what, in the spring or like after pretty like early into 2021, it came out that he had been possibly cheating with a woman who's on a Bravo show called Southern Charm. Ew. Ben Affleck, too, has cheated. He famously ended his marriage to Jennifer Garner by way of right. cheating with the nanny. So he has infidelity in his past, too. I forgot to mention this. I came across a quote from Gwyneth Paltrow talking about Ben Affleck. And mm. Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, dated Ben Affleck. But listen to this quote. It's Gwyneth Paltrow talking to Good Morning America said, this was back in 2003, 
she was being interviewed about her life since her father had died. And Diane Sawyer did not miss her opportunity to ask Gwen what she thought about Ben Affleck and J-Lo's engagement dissolving. And Mm. she says um, that she's not really surprised because, quote, Ben makes life tough for himself. He's got Mm. a lot of complication and, you know, he really is a great guy. So I hope he sorts himself out. I just think we have a very different sort of value system. That was in 2003. She also, the year prior to that, while they were dating, um, Affleck told, or maybe it wasn't the year prior, but while they were dating, Affleck told also Good Morning America that he believed that he was talking about how much Gwyneth Paltrow's dad meant to her and that he believed Paltrow's perfect man would be someone like her father. She said, Mm -hmm. however, talking to Diane Sawyer, that Ben's perfect woman would be, quote, any sort of a stripper at scores, anyone anyone that serves cold beer in a bikini. Paltrow laughed at the memory. Sorry, I just had to take us back there. We can edit it back in. I forgot to mention that earlier. So he's back with J-Lo after 20 years. A-Rod had been possibly cheating. The podcast who weekly has piece together at a timeline of this that's really good that kind of suggests that like if you step back and look at it it came out that he cheated j-lo's people clearly negotiated mm. something with a-rod that was like you are gonna say fucking nothing to the press about this you right. and jennifer are gonna put on like a, a solid front together you're staying together and there was no this is all overblown we're gonna they did work the inauguration out. together. They did the inauguration. They're still posting cutesy things on each other's social. Their kids are getting along swimmingly, which actually was the very sad reality of the story. Sad. Is that like his daughters really love J Lo's kids, and like we're really public about that. So I think her people then in the background they broke up as soon as the cheating stuff came out. Then her people were like, "Go get Ben." spruce him up he yeah. got instantly hotter as soon as he, he and got started dating he was already looking good but then it like it like got like just a little oomph um and you know loaded like, to loaded and three weeks <laughs> loaded to loaded he did wow. the loaded to loaded and then it was you know alex and j-lo announced that their engagement was off and that they were breaking and up. And J-Lo, J-Lo posted video of Mark Anthony, her father's children, comforting her weeping daughter. Which is so gross. Gross. It's so fucking and gross. Within weeks, they're all photographed in LA, constantly all together shopping for new At mansions. a restaurant. All right. together, out with Ben Affleck's kids. Now her kids and Ben Affleck's kids are besties. And I think she is and her machine of a team are the people behind it. And I think Ben and her really love each other, but I think that they're equally fucked up in different ways. Yeah. He's smoking like a chimney. He's smoking like a chimney. He always was. I think the thing about, as you pointed out, Ben's latest weird thing where he's done this, these commercials for Wynn Casinos about some new app they have. First of all, thought that was a good idea. Steve Wynn, Steve Wynn noted me to her, by the way, who's like basically was put out to pasture. But then also... 
you are a self-described gambling addict and alcoholic. You are yeah. banned from stepping foot in some chain of casinos for counting cards. What yep. the fuck are you doing? Like, what? I'm sorry, why are you endorsing a betting app? Like, yeah. what are we doing? Why are we Jeff, being like, Jennifer's back? Like, these people are both fucked up. Ben Affleck and J-Lo are both fucked up. J-Lo is addicted to the equation of, like, orchestrated moments of life as publicity equal millions of dollars. Like, remember, she kind of hadn't done anything for a while, and then she gave birth to twins, so she, like got a decorator oh into gosh. the suite and then sold the rights to her birth to like to people. people or something just I get paid. just cannot believe how hot she is and yeah, her yacht is. wardrobe and is how like, hot they both are they look amazing they look they amazing do. and I'm I won't lie and say like when I saw those but yacht photos I wasn't like oh my god these are amazing I'm so into this but she's healthy she looks healthy and he is not but <laughs> who also knows? who Ben Affleck where is your sober coach and why are you making gambling ads which is not a good look take a knee speaking of addicts 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 who are trying to reform we have some inside information about art career, fine art career of one Mr. Hunter Biden. It's true. Biden. We've got to talk Matt. about Hunter Biden, the troubled son of our president, who has been painting, good for her, and has... Really? Um, what kind of painting? kind of multimedia stuff. It's what you'd expect. The New York Times graciously ran a whole story on it. They went to his studio, took thoughtful photos of him in this subdued lighting when he's surrounded by all of his like mediums he's represented by the george burgess gallery in soho which has been around for about six years he's selling his artwork for 75 to five hundred thousand dollars a pop which is insane a because what you have plenty of celebrities who paint like jim carrey anthony hopkins like people do this but it's not like actually taken seriously by anyone in the art world and also like there'd be some talk of it anywhere else but there isn't so the only thing he's trading on is is the fact that he's the president's son which brings up a national security issue because um it's common practice for when you're selling art through an auction house like christie's or sotheby's that the buyers remain anonymous the white house came up with something where in this instance, he can never know who bought the piece because it's easy for people to be like, listen, Biden, I'm just going to go pay your son 500,000 bucks for one of his paintings and then we can talk about how I need the rights to whatever oil mines. So the White House has come up with its own, we, we've decided no one can know the names of who's buying these paintings. And it's just like the fact that wow. they're doing it at all is kind of amazing. And it would be sort of funny if it wasn't so dire and like what the fuck well also when my friends get out of rehab for their crippling drug addictions they do get jobs as painters of houses for minimum wage minimum wage if they're lucky Mm -hmm. like what is his subject matter matt why is he commanding this kind of price i mean because he's a celebrity and he's the president's son there is literally no other way around it and it's not a discussion of like is it art is it not art is it good art is it not good art like that's a largely meaningless conversation in my opinion i mean this is like it's not you weren't allowed to 
profit from being the family member of of someone in office. Isn't that why Kamala's niece was in trouble for like helping to make a children's book? Yes, and that's that's why this is a massive issue, both in terms of ethics and just also in terms of like national security. Like Joe Biden was our hope and our redemption, and you know, like just. Afghanistan. He's letting us down. Obviously, I think ending the war, which was largely pointless, did not work and was just a tax shelter for Russian oligarchs and like a way of laundering money. And also it was basically just fueling the military industrial complex. That's all it was. It's just for profit. So ending that is a good thing, but like get a plan, bitch. Like why did you not know that the people who were not like Sharia law followers in Afghanistan, we're going to be in great danger the minute you exit. Why not help these people that have helped us? Like, everybody's talked about this for weeks, but it's sort of just the failure of Joe Biden in this way that you just, you can't deny it. Like, it it just is, like, sad. It is sad. We did need to get out, but how did they think this wouldn't happen? Why was this such a disaster? Yeah. That were this this month, like next week, is the twentieth anniversary of nine eleven, and there are many news shows, uh, documentaries, and see that follow the aftermath and and leading up to nine eleven. One of them is on Netflix about how nine eleven, how it intersects with the world, the war on terror. We got in Afghanistan in 1979 because invaded. You know, ever since then, it has Mm -hmm. been this albatross. And so now it's like within the first months of his presidency. It's it's bumble. Well, he did such a good job with COVID. Like Like he did, he did fix a lot of the obvious mistakes of COVID. And that was helpful. Friends of mine from South Asia were talking to me about this and they were just like, that's it. After 20 years longer of this, the cultural impact of a war where people who look a certain way are racially profiled every single time they come through um, immigration, who are treated like they're terrorists iris- just because of people are afraid of people who are from that part of the world. Like people who've endured that kind of unending racism, that's that was what they suffered and for what for this 20-year war that they would just went oh we're out now it must be infuriating to be dehumanized like that because of this war and then just to see it like be done with a shrug and no result well and just that any progress that was made with say like girls being able to go to school or go out yeah. on the streets in public. For, that regression, for that insane example. regression. Um, all that's gone. It's like now. Gilead. It's, it's like Iran just becoming a fascist theocracy. Like overnight, bang, you're inside. I Your credit imagine. cards are canceled. I just, what did America think was going to happen? How did they not envision people clinging to airplanes, saying, please, please, please don't leave us here, dying, falling to their deaths? I don't, that to me is the biggest failing of all of this. Same. Lack of just fucking practicality. Wake up. What did you think was going to happen? And why not address this as a primary issue 
before. It really feels like we've spent more time researching the episode than Joe Biden and his administration researching an effective way to But like look at The Handmaid's Tale. We just watched four I mean I've watched like whatever it is, how many five seasons of it or whatever. There is an example of what is happening. It's a fictional conglomeration and amalgamation of all sorts of things that, like, apparently none of the things that are featured in The Handmaid's Tale were actually made up. They are things that have all occurred in the world in history at some point. But this is the transition from the United States to Gilead. in the original novel. It's the same kind of transition. We kind of, even if you weren't following this, this is what happens and this is what's about to happen to the people who are living inside Afghanistan. It's so easy to see. Anyway, Joe Biden, our nation's father, stumbling through once again. Well, on the other side of Earth, in July, billionaire boy bosses Richard Branson and Big Jeff Bezos went to space on rocket ships that looked a lot like $5.5 billion dildos. Mm. Joining Bezos's flight, I'm going to focus on Bezos because... He's just a little more irritating than Branson and quotable and has a more... Slightly more diabolical, uh, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I was going to say something about his girlfriend, but... No. That's mean. Also known as a live woman. Remember? She's a live woman alive. She is a woman alive. He said, I love you, alive woman. But there was no punctuation. So when you read the sex that leaked to his girlfriend before he was divorced, it reads as, I love you, alive woman. Alive woman. Yes. Sorry. It also sounds like it could be a threat. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Joining Bezos's flight was an 18 year old recent high school graduate named Oliver Damon who was Blue Origin, that's the name of his spaceship, the Blue Origin's first paying customer, whose father, an investor, purchased his ticket originally meant for himself, but his schedule was apparently too full, so he allowed his son to go in his stead. Mm -hmm. You don't know exactly when liftoff is going to take place because of weather conditions and things, so he had a a busy calendar. Mm -hmm. In addition to the teen, Bezos took his brother Mark and the 82-year-old woman astronaut named Wally Funk, who had been training to go to space since the early 1960s with 12 other women who never made it to space because NASA dumped the program. And so he heard about her story. She had paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to get onto one of these like space tourism jets or whatever. And Bezos took pity on her when he found out he had this extra seat. And he was like, I choose you, Wally Funk, (laughs) the best name ever Mm -hmm. had by a female astronaut. Well, so she's kind of a good shield for the fact that he's basically like this emperor type in america and everyone hated him for doing this when so much money needed to be spent on literally anything else and so like oh no no but i'm taking this 82 year old woman so i'm a nice guy i mean space tourism what i didn't realize when everybody like was taking off on their rocket ships to space is that you go up you see the horizon For like three or four minutes, you're in the darkness looking back on Earth like you could at the movies, Mm -hmm. IMAX theater, right? And then they come right back down and the whole thing is a round trip in 10 or 11 minutes. Mm -hmm. 
It costs billions and billions and billions, 20 years to plan. I believe Bezos thanked the many customers of Amazon. No, he 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 thanked. Or did he not? Well, the employees. No, he thanked the employees, which is so sick. Even worse. Your it was like you sharing this. So mistreated yeah. that they slit their own wrists with box cutters. These are real stories of people committing suicides in yeah. Amazon warehouses because dying of the labor conditions there and their refusal to let their employees unionize is well documented. It's such a disgusting thing to say. And on top of these motherfuckers going to space for one minute, as you pointed out, it I think it is there like, well yeah, I could I could install an IMAX theater in my house, but like I'd rather get the real thing, man. Like, this is their version of looking at an IMAX screen, is going to fucking space. And on top of it, this week that they did this, I'm pretty sure it's the same week that there was all of that video of the oil spill that also resulted in a fire that kind of went Mm. viral. You saw it all over Twitter that was like, the ocean is burning. The ocean is on fire. And Jeff Bezos is thanking Amazon employees for allowing him to live his boyhood fantasy of going to space. I'm so glad that you have an exit plan while the rest of us suffer because your companies have also, you know, contributed to global warming as well. Thanks for nothing. I'm so glad that you have an out for yourself. Go fuck yourselves. Elon Musk, I'm talking to you as well. That's right. And you're listening to this. So you think about it. Dude, so Blue Origin's launch site is in rural West Texas, which we're going to use to transition to the news today and every day going forward, which is the Texas abortion ban and the removal of reproductive choice and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Of Roe v. Wade, which is a constitutional right. This has happened. Roe v. Wade has been overturned in fucking Texas in our year of the Lord, 2021. It is so, like, I don't even have words. I'm so angry right now. So We're still just a couple days into this latest uh, maneuvering. It has long been predicted, particularly, you know, during Trump's administration when we had three conservative, anti-choice, psychopathic Supreme Court justices Mm -hmm. put on the court. Mm -hmm. I guess we should just try to explain what is happening. Um, Well, a bill called SB8 was passed by Texas and upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court this week. The bill is diabolical. First of all, it's a vigilante law. It deputizes ordinary citizens, the us's of the world, to essentially file lawsuits against anyone that they think has helped a woman get an abortion. So that could be a doctor. It could be um, someone who helped pay for an abortion. Somebody who helped drive the person to the the site where the procedure is taking place. It's the same um, principle as the KGB ran on. Like, it's everybody's observing everyone else, and you can't trust anyone, and you can log your complaint naming people who might have done 
something. Right. Any random person. I'm now quoting Jay Willis. He used to write for GQ. He's a writer. He's a lawyer. He writes about democracy, courts, and judges. I'm reading off his um, Twitter bio, but I found his breakdown of what was happening really helpful. He writes, under SBA, any random person can sue anyone who, quote, aids and abets abortion. This includes paying for abortion and, quote, using insurance. So if you give a friend money or file an insurance claim or are an insurance company who pays a claim, you might be a target. If an anti-choice vigilante wins, so if someone brings one of these court cases forward and it's successful, they get to collect a statutory $10,000 bounty and their attorney's fees. The state of Texas is encouraging people to sue each other because you will be entitled to at least $10,000. That's right. But um, we have to make clear like what the law is saying. No women, nobody can have an abortion in the state of Texas right now, as of two days ago of this recording, beyond six weeks into a pregnancy, which is so early mm-hmm. that most people with uteruses would never, ever know. Or women who are wanting to get pregnant may mm-hmm. may know, but maybe you're not thinking about it. So like, why would you? You just yeah. don't know yet. Yeah. And then there's already all these bells and whistles in place for all kinds of states, including Texas, who have these quote unquote heartbeat laws. Matt, you're going to tell us about some of those other states, but it's basically women in Texas will have to go to other states to get the care that they need, and there will be a huge backlog. I read an interview with somebody who uh, would have had to drive 12 hours to get to New Mexico. Yeah, I mean... It's a big state. It's it's, a big state not to have basic medical care in. That's a good point. It's an enormous state. There are states with equivalent laws, laws that are in along the same lines with the same goal, currently in Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Arizona, South Dakota, Montana, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Tennessee, Ohio, Kentucky, Idaho, Pennsylvania, and Missouri. So it's been a long game where they're always going to play it state by state. They were never going to be like, let's let's go after the federal law. It's like one at a time. Why can't we sue the guys that get us pregnant, though? It's a great point. You said Mississippi. Just yesterday, a 24-year-old Brandon Teesfeld has been given life in prison for the murder of his college girlfriend, 21-year-old Allie Costiel who he shot eight times in the stomach when she told him she thought she was pregnant, he murdered her because he thought he might have been responsible for impregnating someone. Mm -hmm. And he was in his early 20s at the time. It would ruin his life. His life. America has blood on its hands. America has, yeah. It's not dead babies. It's dead women. I'm just, it's disgusting. It's so disgusting. It's dead women. It's anyone saying that that we've turned a corner on misogyny in America. It's not America without pro-choice. It's not America with slavery. It's a. Con- it's yeah. also a fucking constitutional right. I keep seeing these things on Twitter where people are like, oh, but it doesn't mean Roe v. Wade doesn't exist anymore. It does in Texas. Like, how did, yeah. how is this happening? It's fucking crazy. 
the other thing, Aaron, yes, like the, the basis of this is after six weeks and then all of these ghoulish bells and whistles that come along with like, you can get $10,000 if you successfully report someone and can prove that they aided and abetted. The other thing I'll just add in, which seems really insane to me, is that people can bring suits up to four years later. Great. <laughs> oh, okay. Four, four years later. And if a court decision, I'm quoting from Jay Willis's Twitter again, it, if a court decision briefly protects the right to abortion and then gets overruled, defendants can't rely on that, even if the decision was good law at the time. So a per- perpetual threat of devastating liability. Yeah. You know what I think is at the core of this obsession with controlling women's bodies in this way? I think it's two things. I think it's one, like Gloria Steinem, I think said certainly Gloria Steinem's character in Miss America said, they're obsessed <laughs> with maintaining the workers of tomorrow. The owners need to have their yeah. serfs. And men have this obsession with maintaining their own right to build a legacy. It's like a weird, mm-hmm. like, mm. ego thing. Like, I, I'm afraid I may never exist after I die, so I have to have a child. I have to send on my name. So it's like this insane existential panic that men have. So they're like, you do not get to make a decision on this because I have to have every opportunity to have a legacy. It's very rapey. It's pro-rape is what it is. It's pro-rape, yeah. and it's also just like christian supremacy. sex phobic it's sex <laughs> christian yeah. supremacy encoded in law and also just salt in the wound of all of this is that clarence thomas who put a pube on anita hill's coke can and brett i was lifting weights at pj's and tobes kavanaugh are the people yeah. who made this law happen it yeah. makes me feel like all of the air has been sucked out of every room in the world <laughs> that I will ever be in as a woman. That Brett motherfucking Kavanaugh is the reason that this law exists. Brett reminds me of Clarence. You know, I got in even though I was a sexual harasser because Biden, Joe Biden, now our president, failed to do his job back when Clarence right. Thomas and Anita Hill. Right. No, exactly. It goes full circle. Joe Biden released a statement about how disappointed he is without actually naming the Supreme Court in any of his criticisms. And if Joe Biden really wanted to show us that he made a mistake with Anita Hill, he would pack the fucking court right now. Do it. Right. Do it it yesterday. Okay. Well, there's some more Texas to discuss, and that is just We are not done with COVID, not at all. And Texas and Florida are still the states that I'm most concerned about because Governor Abbott, who got COVID himself. He refuses to enforce a mask mandate. And a fun fact about DeSantis, as of this week, Florida, as of this week, Florida will start issuing $5,000 fines to businesses, schools, and government agencies that require people to show proof of a COVID-19 vaccination. Whoa. Uh-huh. It is, um, it's pretty shocking. Uh, both Abbott and DeSantis, I mean, the hilarious irony, right, that Texas has just passed this draconian, disgusting abortion law right. in a state where a governor is touting that the individualism reigns in Texas, that government shouldn't have 
uh, control the over authority. what we do with our bodies. It's total disregard for the health Thank of you others. For saying that. A total disregard for the health of others because of what this means for people who can't be vaccinated. I.e., my four-year-old nephew who has asthma, your right. nephew, baby Jack. All who's of these, moving to Florida. He's moving to Florida. All of the kids out there that can't be vaccinated, all of the people out there who can't be vaccinated because of, you know, various issues. These men, and I'll throw in Governor Doug Ducey to make this specific because last season we had on Kristen Orquiza, a uh, native of Phoenix, Arizona, whose father died of COVID-19 after Doug Ducey prematurely lifted social distancing in Arizona. And she came on and talked to us about how upset she is. He continues to also be one of these governors that are banning mask mandates at schools too. These governors are killing people, period, period. And possibly kids. Kids are spreading it. Kids can't get vaccinated and kids are starting to die. That's right. Because the Delta variant is more virulent It Mm -hmm. is vicious and extremely, extremely contagious. Mm -hmm. And whether they have it or not, we know they're spreading it. Mm -hmm. And Abbott himself got COVID. I don't know if DeSantis has gotten COVID. These guys have been vaccinated. They will not even suggest strongly (laughs) with their laws that that's important. Because it's like this macho, it's a calculated political decision where you just decide this is how I play it and then they just dig their heels in. I came across a letter to the editor in the New York Times from someone named Michael Blatt from Croton on Hudson, New York, where my sister used to live. He's made the very good point, which is that Texas and Florida have both been bought to their knees this summer by the Delta variant especially Florida. I think that their rates are higher now than what they were during the actual first wave of the pandemic. And the hospitals Hospitals. are at capacity. Doctors are exhausted and terrified that they're not going to be able to help people. And this writer of this letter to the editor in the New York Times, I'm randomly quoting on our podcast, but I really agree with this. He writes, so the, the defense of that is like, well, It's not that it's our fault. It's because the system hasn't been prepared. These hospitals aren't prepared. It's the hospital's fault. They should have had more beds ready. So this author of this letter writes, it's not that the, quote, system in general is not prepared. It's that the system was not designed to consider the need for additional resources to overcome not just governance incompetence, not just dereliction of duty, but leadership actively undermining public health. It's like sitting yeah. with that. This down is up, up is down, cuckoo crazy, QAnon, Donald Trump. If New York were like Texas this summer, Matt wouldn't have been able to get his gallbladder surgery. No, and I'm that's being true. 100% serious. Yeah. yeah. There are parts of Texas right now where the hospitals are so overrun, they can't handle any more patients of any kind, COVID or not. Mm-hmm. Very good point. We go from Delta Dads into Prince Andrew. Well, so, okay, so the thing I think that links to Prince Andrew here is this idea of digging your heels in and just kind of going, no, reality is what I say it is, and I'm just going to get away with whatever I fucking want to. Speaking of the embodiment of that, elsewhere in the world is Prince Andrew, who the Department of Justice is now, like, zeroing in on. He was implicated in the Jeffrey Epstein 
inquiry. He's a central figure in that. He's been accused of rape by a woman who was 17 at the time. And so he's done what a man in his position would do, which is just kind of go, excuse me, no, and has just ignored it and not responded to the FBI who want to talk to him. The Department of Justice is in fact persisting in this request that Andrew answer questions in relation to allegations of repeated rape. What's interesting about this is this has never happened before because you can't really arrest a member of the royal family. It's called sovereign immunity. The queen can't be arrested and you cannot arrest anyone in her presence or within what they call the verges of a royal palace. So technically he can just stay at home in one of his mother's houses and then Mm -hmm. they can't do anything about it. But lawyers have been repeatedly showing up to Royal Lodge in Windsor where he is to serve him with papers and they're being turned away by Royal Guards. So it's kind of this interesting moment of what will win here? Is it this sort of weird archaic theatre or is it the law and Mm. the fact that this is a sexual assault of a minor. Let's be fair, if he gets served, even if some unprecedented thing happens where he goes and talks to a judge about it, and we even get to see that testimony, and it's it's horrible, and he's like fails like his terrible BBC interview, nothing will happen to him anyway. He'll get off, nothing will happen. At the very least, there'll be some kind of a plea bargain where he doesn't have to do anything. He's already retreated from public life. But gosh, won't it be an interesting journey to get there because it'll be a war of optics in the media. Yeah. Aaron, you brought up this question the other day. Do you think anything will happen when Charles takes the throne? Like, will he put him out to pasture finally? Or do you think that will never really happen? I kind of don't think that'll ever really happen, but it really should if they want the monarchy to go on. Um, Well, what they'll do is they'll just focus on Charles William what's the kid's name? George. Just the line of succession. Charles has already taken steps to cut all of the rest of them off the civil list. That's an optics thing. And Andrew fought back to make sure his daughters could still like get money and be rich and important. They are in fact not being paid money anymore. So they have to work. Mind you, they have trust funds and everything. So they're all maniacally wealthy anyway, sort of like Prince Harry. Yeah. But I think Charles will probably do a lot to symbolically sever Andrew out. He always kind of has. But he's not going to like do anything that's going to put the, the dude in jail because it's his brother and that would be going I guess far. not. I was always hoping like when Harry and Meghan did their thing and got out and went to LA, that the big Oprah story was going to be, we could not in good faith raise our family around pedophile Andrew, Uncle Uncle Andy. And that is not what Meghan or Harry ever said. That's such a good point. And in fact, this is why I'm like not super Harry and Meghan positive right now in my life. Because they've said that they are friends with with Sarah Mm -hmm. and Andrew and that they are the only humans. It's all very weird. So Harry's feeling no pain. Harry is feeling only (laughs) the specific pain to do with his mother that Meghan is like filling the void in. It's kind of sad, really, because Harry was so like alpha dad in going, fuck this, we're leaving. I'm not having my kid around this. I'm I'm giving up 
they're still playing the role. They're still like the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, and they still like calling their daughter yes. Lilibet Diana Mountbatten Windsor is just like one of those galactic troll moves, as far as Lilibet. I'm concerned. Like Lilibet, extraordinary. Lilibet. Not just Elizabeth, but the name that she used with her sister when she was a child. Like that's amazing. They, should, that's they love so and amazing. respect the queen. They right. Really they love do, and, respect and I don't her. know. I don't get it. Um, so Matt has to run. Aaron and I okay. are going to come back and finish this. Thanks you guys. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Biz. I had a question for you. Yeah. Have you ever had a bonus before? A bonus. A bonus. It's where you get like a little extra money from your employer just for being on the payroll. A bonus. Of course you haven't because you're a woman. (laughs) And I've never had a bonus because I'm a woman too. I just left my body. Yeah. We're disassociating right now as we record this Patreon ad. What we're realizing is that though we've never had bonuses, we would really like our listeners to have bonuses by way of a bonus episode once a month. If you sign up for our Patreon, $3 is all it takes, $3 a month. You get a full extra bonus daddy issues where we go through, we talk about dads, men, people patriarchy patriarchy celebrity gossip ripped from the daily dad headlines of the daily mail exactly they love like a dad being killed by a crocodile cultural analysis we'll talk about all of that in a full bonus daddy issues episode go to our patreon right now patreon.com backslash tell me about your father for three dollars a month which it feels like a tip but it's really a bonus it's really a bonus we don't know what a bonus is again but we know (laughs) we want you to have a bonus episode there will be one awaiting for you on our patreon just head there right now and you will get them monthly you're gonna love it you're gonna love it patreon patreon.com backslash tell me about your father yeah that was us shilling for us on Patreon, mm-hmm, it was. which is such an important service and website because y'all, if I may turn on my Texas Tammy Taylor accent, <laughs> it is hard work making a podcast. Yeah, it is a lot of it work. It is just, it's so time consuming that even though it's an hour show, it takes hours to make one of these and record them. And thus, our friend Matt had to go do his real day job. So we're just going to close out the last of these dads of summer. That's right. We have a few more on our list to get through, Aaron. We thank Matt for his service prior to this. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on down the list next brings us to... Someone that we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast over the past couple of years, Kanye West. Oh, there's a shocker. Yes. Kanye has been in the news all summer. I mean, he he had been having a very, I think, amicable divorce with Kim Kardashian, the mother of his four children. And she's been very supportive by going to his, with all of the children, these like music listening parties, which have happened not at little clubs where you would usually hear something 
you know, like a new album exclusively, but at large stadiums in Chicago and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. For his new where, album, like, Donda. That's what this is Donda. Mm-hmm. And Donda is named after his mother who died many years ago. Mm-hmm. And she's just such a big part of his body of work. This album has been supposed to come out for years, as usual. It was finally dropped by the record company against Kanye's will, he says, last week. But we're going to talk about his antics in front of his children. That included, at the last show, he brought out Baby. Mm-hmm. the rapper who was recently in the news for homophobic comments and Marilyn Madsen who is recently in the news for rape and assault not a good time for him to even be leaving his house and he brought Kim Kardashian out on stage wearing a white Balenciaga couture wedding gown mm-hmm. But he also set his entire body on fire Mm -hmm. as if he were Michael Myers on Halloween. Like he was wearing one of those flammable suits that stunt people wear when they're about to get like blown up or they're going to be on fire. He caught himself on fire Mm -hmm. at the show. And I just kept thinking about his little kids, like how scary and confusing that is. No, you texted me about that. Like, what a weird thing to do in front of your kids. Or anyone. Like, I don't want to see anyone on fire. Ever. This listening party was actually broadcast on Apple TV as part of the Donda release last week. Is the third in a series. So he's done this two other times in Atlanta. All three times, according to TMZ and other sources, it was really important to him that Kim and the children be in the audience they have four children together his daughter north is eight years old that is the oldest child north is eight she's old saint is five chicago is three and i think psalm is either one or two i think yeah the other thing about the the chicago performance last week is that so much of it was about like exercising i guess the demons of his childhood the pain of his childhood he built a replica of his childhood home on Soldier Field in Chicago and had, yeah, at one point, Marilyn Manson and DaBaby, who had both been, quote, canceled or, I don't know, made to answer for very bad decisions that each of them have made. But they don't have anything in common with each other. It's so random that either of those two people would be on the stage. I think in in Kanye's mind or whoever's mind it was, was like, let's bring these two guys out. They were like, well, yeah, like the through line is that they've both been vilified. They've both been canceled. They've both had their, their livelihoods taken away from them. I mean, any goodwill that I had left for Kanye was erased. DaBaby, who, for people listening (laughs) who are unfamiliar with us, Um, made some comments this summer about AIDS and he was swiftly kicked off of a few bills that he was supposed to do this summer, a few tours. There was a lot of outcry from other artists who have recorded with him. And Kanye allegedly really wanted him to be on this album and I guess also make an appearance because he was only one of the few celebrities to publicly say they would vote for him during his presidential run. Kanye had one rally during his bid for presidency 
where he had a complete emotional crying breakdown on stage and said that he and Kim Kardashian had wanted to abort their oldest daughter, North. Yes. Who will have to watch that footage for the rest of her life, in addition to everything else. There's so much else that she has to see. Um, I mean, with Kanye bringing out Marilyn Manson, it's like it's, it's like he seems to be saying, come on, like, Give this white guy a chance. It's been accused of raping multiple women. He was just like standing or leaning yeah. silently. Maybe DaBaby did some kind of verse or something, but Manson was just like leaning up against Kanye's childhood porch. Yeah, and so Kanye lit himself on fire and walked through his childhood home. And then right afterwards, Kim Kardashian came out in her wedding dress. So I think that would also be something that would be very confusing for his children to see. Why is yeah. mommy in a wedding dress on Soldier Field? No matter whether or not they can conceptualize that daddy's an artist mm-hmm. with bipolar disorder. And that, that also probably wasn't daddy. It was someone pretending to be daddy who set himself on. I don't know that that was really Kanye. Not a stunt double, but maybe it was really Kanye. Whatever it was, won't somebody please think of the children mm-hmm. is what we are saying about Kanye this summer. Mm-hmm. Woo! And all of this was ushered in at the beginning of the year, uh, literally almost a year ago, with Kim's 40th birthday party last October. We did a Patreon um, special about Kanye West bringing kim kardashian's father back to life her long deceased father robert back to life via hologram and that's right we were shocked listening to it and playing it we were like surely this is going to lead to the demise of their marriage because it's so manipulative and it was so abusive like basically saying to her you know I brought your father back to life, mm-hmm. who's the greatest husband of them all. Mm-hmm. He put the voice into her own dead father, having Robert Kardashian's voice say, you are married to a genius. Yeah, he the really best, is. best husband in the world. The most beautiful thing that I have witnessed is watching you grow your family. You married the most, 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 most most genius man in the whole world, Kanye West. And she had to be like, oh my God, you changed my life again. Mm -hmm. And now here we are, they're they're divorcing soon, but they're also not. They're also not. They're going to lunch together. Kim's coming out in a wedding dress. She announced that she's going to keep his last name, et cetera, et cetera. Um, KK Dubs. KK Dubs. Let's move on to the next sad sack. Chet Hayes. Oh no. Big up, big up the whole island massive. It's your boy Chetana. Chet Hayes, you know, Chet Hayes is the oldest son of Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. Right, but not Tom Hanks's oldest son. You might be thinking of Colin, the normal one. There's Colin, and he has a daughter from his first marriage. Colin Hanks, who was born in 1977, and a daughter named right. Elizabeth, who was born in 1982, to a, a first wife, then gets married to Rita Wilson, and yep. they have Chester Chet Hanks. He's 31. Quickly, if you had to guess, who do you think Chet Hanks shares a birthday with? Chet Hanks. 
Ooh. Can you give me the month? August. Ooh, he's a Leo. Mm-hmm. Madonna. Close, Barack Obama. No wonder his patois is so strong. Uh, August 4th, boo-boo. So he's a baby man. He's a father himself. We're talking about him in the news because he is an anti-vaxxer. The son of America's first COVID couple. America's first COVID couple. So Chester, also known as Chet Hayes, got tongues of flapping at the beginning of the summer because he declared it was going to be white boy summer that he was going to release a song i think he did actually release a song called white boy summer the whole thing was a major disaster it was like is he a rapper i've never heard these songs okay it's a rap it's a a rap but he is a rapping um he's a rapping he's his you know his stage name is chet chet hayes Hayes. Hayes. Yeah. So he also made a bunch of merch for White Boy Summer that looked a lot like white supremacy paraphernalia, an old English font, you know, like more of like a neo-Nazi Jesse James (laughs) motorcycle, Orange County, like... Sure. Kind of that. Flames. It was a little too Huntington Beachy for everybody's comfort. And then he kind of went away. And during this, too, it comes out that he's allegedly tried to attack the mother of his child. He's also um, struggled publicly with substance abuse. So there's that, too. Chet then reappeared in August to announce that he is an anti-vaxxer. And Mm. let me play you a clip of him talking about being an anti-vaxxer that he posted online. Hey guys, so um, just checking in. Look, I've been kind of on the fence about this for a while. That's why I've never spoke on it. But with the amount of people that I know recently that, that have gotten COVID and with like the numbers rising, I think it's important for me to say like, I got the vaccine. I think everybody should. I think it's really important like that we all do this just as like citizens, as Americans. We have to look out for each other and get this shit under control, guys. So like, I suggest to all my followers, you guys make set an appointment and get the vaccine first thing. Psych! Uh, bitch! If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I never had COVID. You ain't sticking me with that motherfucking needle. It's the motherfucking flu. Get over it, okay? If you're sick, stay inside. I'm tired of having... Okay? Why are we working around y'all? If y'all... Uh, if you're in danger, stay your ass inside. I'm tired of wearing a motherfucking mask. See what he did there? He said, psych. You think he's gonna say that he's pro getting vaccinated, but then he says psych. So you know, you know he's just kidding. He then went on to double down. Let's be real, 99% of you motherfuckers wouldn't use a shampoo that's not FDA approved, but you're willing to get some experimental government injection. Okay, there's more evidence for UFOs being real than that vaccine being healthy for you, he added, without offering evidence or making much sense. Thanks, Hollywood Reporter, for that additional note that I just read. The reason why I even mentioned Chet Hanks, though, is it brings up the the uncomfortable reality or an uncomfortable premise. How about this? Because we we don't know the reality of the Hanks household. That what happened there? That's all I'm going to say. And we can't. Some people just are fucked up. And it doesn't mean that their parents are fucked up or that Tom Hanks is secretly a bad dad, quote unquote, or that Rita is a bad mom, quote unquote. 
But I do wonder. It's a Hunter Biden mm. kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, what can Tom Hanks say? I'm sorry, but he's my son and I love him. Mm-hmm. And it's not in me to, you know, I guess, sever ties with that person. Yeah, no, of course. And I don't think Tom Hanks should sever ties with him. But I do think, you know, as much as we referred to Joe Biden earlier as America's dad, I guess he is as the president, but Tom Hanks is so often referred to as America's dad. And who doesn't love Tom Hanks? One of our last episodes before break, I talked about how Tom Hanks was amazing for writing an op-ed about the Tulsa race riot. This must be so painful for him because this person is unwell he is constantly trying to inhabit the voice or the vocal stylings of someone who is not white mm-hmm. often they're jamaican or caribbean or i don't even know that he knows mm-hmm. or that it's thug life he really believes he is like a rapper on the streets mm-hmm. like if you listen to these joe rogan like rants who got COVID today. But Joe Rogan has a lot of followers. How much influence does Chet Hayes really have? Which is probably why his father has never had to really go on the record, you know, like Joe Biden has, because he's the president. But I mean, Tom Hanks never has to acknowledge any of this if he doesn't want to. But I think every time Chet springs up to do something publicly embarrassing, it's sort of, for me at least, makes me wonder about what his childhood was like or what what yeah. is going on with him. Fair. We won't know yet. We won't and he know could yet. have had an amazing childhood with amazing Rita and Tom parenting and still end up speaking in a fake patois and being an anti-vaxxer, even though his parents publicly were the, some of the first people to get COVID. Celebrities, excuse me, to get COVID. Celebrities. Who's yes. next, Erin? We'd be remiss if we didn't add to the douchebag cacophony with this person nobody had ever heard of before this summer, Mike Richards, executive producer and almost co-host of Jeopardy, post Alex Trebek, RIP. Well, first of all, everybody was like, wait a second, who is the new Jeopardy? host mm-hmm. Maya M. and somebody named Mike Richards who mm-hmm. we've never heard of who is not an on-camera celebrity but he has apparently been a longtime producer of this show this game show mm-hmm. and so when they announced this setup that half the time Maya M. is going to be the host And by the way, she has like a neuroscience degree in addition to being this popular actor. Um, And then there's this guy, Mike Richards, that's going to do it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so people start looking into him as they do, because I think a lot of people wanted LeVar Burton to be the the host. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, people looked into this guy and it, turns out that he is a shitty person mm-hmm. yeah he he had a podcast that sounds a lot like the man show and yet it was only how many years ago the ringer wrote a huge kind of expose on his past comments on a podcast that i believe was called Ra- the random show random spelled r-a-n-d-u-m-b ho <laughs> ho 
um, where oh. he had two like cute kind of like assistant female a co-host slash producers assistants who are both much younger than him. The show was on from 2013 to 2014. Oh, the ringer included audio from an episode where he was talking about remember and i think it was 2013 there was that big iphone cloud hack where you know new jennifer lawrence's nudes were leaked yes um, a bunch of other celebrities a few that he then kind of talking about this on air turns to one of his assistants um and co-hosts and says you know ask them if they've ever taken nude photos and he kind of won't drop it. Like, they kind of, like, laugh him off. He won't drop it um, and starts uh, talking to them about, like, if they've ever taken, quote, booby pictures. Well, okay, let me ask you a question. Okay. Have you ever taken a nude picture? I'm not answering that question to you, Mike Richard. Answer it right now to your fans. <laughs> have not. you? I mean, I've, no, I haven't. Yes, you have. I have not, like, naked. I've taken, like, cute pictures of myself that I thought What does that mean? Cute. What does that know, mean? I thought I was, like, so cute. <laughs> Like booby pictures? What are we looking at? Oh my god! Like this is the guy. I mean, uh, Price is right. Wheel of Fortune. These these are other options. We can have that conversation. But Jeopardy. The Price. Jeopardy. Yeah, he he worked on the Price is Right. He was also a Price is Right producer. But yeah, that this man who's you know has a show called The Random Show. Or did while simultaneously working on Jeopardy is a lot. I mean, not. I don't know. Are we are we wrong for assuming that everyone who works at Jeopardy is like a kindly dork? Like I thought. Well, I think but- I think we were we thought that, and I wish that I could think that way again. I feel robbed of my innocence when I listen to that the audio. I am immediately reminded of every time I have laughed off in a work setting, a guy that's just like being, you know, talking about boobies. And then you're supposed to be like, stop, haha, and just move on or roll your eyes. Like, that's Mike for you. This guy, I think, has been in plain sight behind the scenes of Jeopardy, a a complete douche that women have to laugh off. And I think that there have been so many instances of it that it just came to a a fever pitch when he put himself in the running as a literally unknown person to America to host one of America's most iconic game shows. So, you know, his hubris... Intellectual. His hubris blew up, you know, exactly, like... If he hadn't insisted on making himself the host, he'd still have his career, his name, his everything. His salary. It's really interesting. Um, It's also just like a lot of failing up as per usual. Totally. You know, where it's like, yes, you are a white man that looks like this. And of course, your name is the most common white guy name in the world. Michael Richards. What? Mike Richards. Which one? Which one? James Williams. Oh my god. It's just David Nelson. But it's like even the part-time actress they they have allowed to be like a co-host has a fucking is a neuroscientist and she has a hit show. Right. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like what is there's no other there's nobody else. Yeah. It also, just, like, the logistics of this are truly bizarre. Like, who said 
that the executive producers for a show that which is a massive conflict of interest like apparently he was deeply involved according to this ringer report with like deciding who got to be guest host how many episodes they got to be on for um ken jennings and lavar burton their guest episodes they had fewer that they were allowed to host versus my um (laughs) let's just call her blossom versus blossoms or that other guy who hosted who's like a football player the muppets hosted versus all the other muppets that hosted (laughs) so the two fan favorites ken ken jennings and lavar burton he's like no you get fewer episodes oh you know what i'm just gonna decide that i'm gonna make myself the host it's laughable it's embarrassing and i don't understand how this shit I mean, we do understand how it happens. The reason it happens is because too many people are in power who are very stupid and not very good at their jobs, and people are too scared to speak up and say anything. Oh, I can't wait to see what's going to happen on The View. (laughs) But moving on to the big story of the summer. I feel like we're counting down to hell, Mm -hmm, which we we are. are. And it is dun-dun-dun. Crisis Daddy Let Us Down, Cuomo. Wow. We've talked about Andrew Cuomo quite a bit on this show. and But not since the end, the end of spring slash beginning of summer when you said, sir, step down. It is time for you to resign. And that was weeks before he actually did. So that's what we're reporting on now. How many accusers or... What what happened that where he was finally forced out? Well, eleven women. I think there were eleven, 11. instances yeah. in the report that was brought against him by the district attorney's office of but, New York. Of New York, Andrew Cuomo and our kind of like infatuation with Andrew Cuomo during the um, Pan- yeah during 2020. the pandemic. And when I say we, I collectively. But then you and I also really have we talked about this we were really appreciated his daily press conferences we were really moved by some of the anecdotes that he would share it was soothing um you know we stuck up for his nipples we we were like don't body shame for his nipples that were protruding (laughs) through his shirt um probably taped down so that they wouldn't show but it drew even more attention many people think his nips are pierced as a result who knows you know we were so i think we're so starved for a leader right this is why this was his moment and why he really jumped on it wrote that book about what a success his leadership skills were in bringing his premature his premature uh ejaculation of a book um about how great he was during the pandemic let you know this is prior to all of the data coming out that he tried to hide all of the numbers showing that there are huge amounts of nursing home deaths during most of the the really bad periods of the pandemic which he and his Henchmen and women in his yeah. office worked to erase from public knowledge. But the reason that you and I and so many other people were obsessed was because the bar was so low set against Trump. Yeah. And it reminds yeah. me of like 
you know, dating or something. Like, no, I'm serious. Stockholm <laughs> syndrome, yeah. Well, yeah, or if you're you have, like, no, if you have a string of bad boyfriend, like, yeah. the bar is fucking low. If you, it's a really low bar. You know, you, you, the bar was For super us. low because Trump, I, the bar was below fucking sea level as to, like, what we needed from someone, which was to just speak coherently and tell us what true. was happening. And we didn't have that in Trump, and we really needed it in Cuomo. And that's why you and I really fell for it, if you will. But I also think it was not just Trump's idiocy, his being so stupid, Mm -hmm. but the fact that he didn't have any emotion. Mm -hmm. And Cuomo is all emotion, which is literally his excuse for sexual harassment, by the way. Right, because I I, I just want to hug and, you know, that slideshow he showed during his defense was so embarrassing. Another woman stated that I kissed her on the forehead at our Christmas party and that I said, ciao, Bella. Now, I don't remember doing it. But I'm sure that I did. I do kiss people on the forehead. I do kiss people on the cheek. I do kiss people on the hand. I do embrace people. I do hug people, men and women. I do on occasion say, ciao, Bella. Oh, like I'm Italian. I don't know. I I hug. I I, I just want to hug. Yeah. But going back to those press conferences, when he would talk about his mother and he would talk about his daughters and his eyes would, you know, fill up with tears as he was talking about the many, many thousands of people. Now we know 12 to 15,000 more senior senior citizens, elderly people in homes. Mm -hmm. He was lying about it was so much worse than we even knew. But he was the only man in the country besides Dr. Fauci, to me, a New Yorker at the time, that was taking my fear seriously. Yes, that because is such a good point. everyone else was minimizing the pandemic. They were minimizing everything, and we could see it outside our windows. Mm-hmm. We could see it outside our windows. We could hear it with, I mean, God, the March sirens. and April and May, nonstop sirens. The um, amount, now that I'm outside of New York New York State, it is a completely different America. People have no sense, unless it's happening to you where you're in a lockdown situation and it's the death, death, death is outside. Right. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good point about taking your pain and your fear seriously. And that he did take our fear seriously because... Yeah, at that point, the pandemic hadn't spread across the rest of the country, or COVID hadn't, and yeah. it was like we were living in the future. It was just like him him and Fauci just being like, this is what's up. This is what's up. This isn't a matter of like, oh, New York's dirty, and this will never come pure to this tiny Kansas town, and we all know how it turned out, but like... Yeah, I think you're right that it was very comforting to have someone say, this is terrifying and unprecedented and it's okay that to be afraid right now. 
Yeah. Um, it was what we needed to be taken seriously in that sense. And then, of course, comes the the wallop to the stomach, which is realizing that these allegations that are coming up, coming out against him, that a couple of them, based on this report, happened during the fucking pandemic. I know. You Even know? after. Even after. And not only that, but Time's Up, Inc., Time's up. The the uh, nonprofit mm-hmm. that was supposed to intervene and save women from sexual harassment, bullshit, and shenanigans by men in power who are previously deemed untouchable. Mm-hmm. Roberta Kaplan at the t- tippy top of that. Mm-hmm. The American attorney who is a hero in so many ways, was the attorney, one of the attorneys, but the main attorney responsible for getting gay marriage legal in this country. But just like with all lawyers, it seems like they will (laughs) say one thing is their priority, but in actuality, they sat on evidence and didn't they didn't comment when they could have backed in support of Cuomo's accusers who apparently have just like a shit ton of evidence. Well, yeah, to clarify, Roberta Kaplan worked with Cuomo and his right-hand woman, Melissa DeRosa. And she's very serious. The attorney general's report found that Roberta Kaplan had, quote, reviewed a draft of a disparaging op-ed letter that was aimed at attacking the character of Lindsay Boylan, a former Cuomo aide who was the first to publicly accuse him of sexual harassment. The op-ed letter was never published, but it was part of a broader effort in which Mr. Cuomo and his aides sought counsel from former administration officials So yeah, it sounds like she worked actually directly with them to discredit Lindsay Boylan, that that's what happened. Similar stuff happened with uh, quote-unquote liberal and progressive lawyers for Harvey Weinstein, like David Boies, Mm -hmm. super progressive lawyer that helped Harvey bury all kinds of allegations and also get spies from the black cube working in his defense Mm -hmm. gloria allred's daughter Mm -hmm. an attorney um for women and human rights lisa bloom is her name lisa bloom and she was also exposed as working for weinstein at the time whatever lawyers are liars but (laughs) <laughs> just because you're women doesn't make it okay yeah and we see you we see you time's up we thanks see you. for we, nothing we see you miss kaplan but also cuomo so he refused to resign for like a few Oof. weeks after that report came out he was just holding on for dear life it felt like forever though he yeah. refused to leave and he finally left and when he resigned, he flicked his wounds on public television and said that he was still felt that he ha- wasn't given a fair... A fair shake. A fair shake. And even when he came out to say, to respond to the district attorney's report, he didn't... Someone coached him enough to say, do not open this speech with, quote, as the father of a daughter or as the father of daughters which so many men who have done wrong 
in the past couple of years have decided to use that sort of like line of defense or thinking of like, I'm a father of a daughter. Like, I'm capable of seeing a woman as a human. Like, of course, I would never mistreat my female right. employees this way or harass anyone. I, I, I see women as people. Now that I think about it, dot, 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 like now that I have time to reflect on it, I actually see women as people. And I have daughters. He didn't do that, but he did something close to that, which was saying that that he knows someone very, very close to him who is the survivor of sexual assault. We don't know who this person is. One person. And because of that, he knows how much anguish it can call people who survive assault and the wounds that it leaves in people. And he takes it really seriously. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many fathers of daughters on this list. And I do believe that it was Matt Damon that originally got people talking about that phrase. Remember, I think it was Roxanne Gay who was like, it's just called having empathy. Like you shouldn't have to have daughters to understand that rape is bad it's so true matt damon was one of the first people to use that exact line when he was defending his close ties to harvey weinstein so anyways andrew cuomo what the fuck but what's exciting is that now new york has its first ever female governor Mm -hmm. and her name is kathy and how do we pronounce hatchel hawk hawk Hockchall. It doesn't roll off the Hock-chally, tongue. Aaron. <laughs> Hockchall. Well, I'm excited for her, and I really hope that she can keep her hands to herself. I'm excited for her. I wish she had got become the first governor of female governor of New York in um, a way a legit that, that way? wasn't built on the <laughs> harassment and suffering of Cuomo's employees over time. But you know what? Congrats, Kathy. Congrats, Kath. Congrats, Kath. You know, we've had a lot of gloom and doom on this episode. It was a gloom and doom summer. It continues to be gloom and doom. The news has mm-hmm. been very difficult. And I have found myself turning into someone that doesn't want to read the news because it's so depressing and I've never been that person. But we wanted to end on a positive, uplifting note for that reason. Yeah. Um, Thank you. And you, Erin, put this on our radar. Mandy Patinkin, American theater royalty. um, Stag after a superstar. Stag after a superstar. He's been in a million things. A character actor. A character actor. A singer, a dancer, a prick. But, okay. Well, well, like on some of his most famous roles, he is like, he's like the prick, you know, mm-hmm. and he's, he's like the serious, like, f- not to mention father, daddy issues, uh, the show Homeland with, with Claire Danes, he was sort of that paternal role there. But this is about his TikTok, or this came to us via his, he has a TikTok with his wife, who he's had the same wife for tons of decades, which when Hollywood is a miracle. Mm -hmm. Um, And this young woman sent in a little video message asking Mandy about a story that she'd heard, which was when he was preparing or giving lines for the movie The Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. A young woman made a TikTok of herself with him tagged in it, 
it's saying that her father's recently died of cancer and asking if anybody out there on TikTok knows if the scene in Princess Bride where he, Mandy Patinkin, plays the character, it, <laughs> plays the character Nigo Montoya, who <laughs> is famously, you know, looking for this man who, and trying to kill a man who has killed his father. And there's a scene where he has this man cornered, played by Christopher Guest. This person has six fingers. He is named the six-fingered man. The six-fingered man is trying to bargain with him because he's about to kill him. He's like, whatever you want, like, what do you need? And Mandy Patinkin says, I just want my father back. Offer me everything I ask for. Anything you want. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. And so this woman on TikTok is like, I read that Mandy Patinkin, when he was delivering this line, delivered it with such fury and passion and rage because his own father had died of cancer. And he was heartbroken and Ugh. it haunted him. And the, in that moment, he pictured that he was talking to the cancer that killed his own father. I'm going to try to do this without crying. Um, so my dad passed away uh, March of this year, 2021, from cancer. Uh, he had mantle cell lymphoma. And Princess Bride was always one of his favorite movies. And it's always been one of my own, my favorite movies. And Inigo Montoya was his favorite character from the film, uh, played by the wonderful Mandy Patinkin. And I recently learned, or heard, you know, a rumor online that in the scene with Count Rugen, the six-fingered man, when, you know, it's their famous duel, and he says, you know, I'll give you anything you want. And he says... I want my father back, you son of a bitch. I saw on the internet the rumor that when Mandy Patinkin said that line, he was thinking of his own father who had passed away from cancer. And it was a very raw emotion. And I, ever since then, it's kind of really stuck with me. Um, so I guess I just kind of wanted to know if that is or if that's a true thing if that's a real thing i know that mandy patinkin has a tiktok but i don't think that it'll ever go that far but i was just really curious um because it means so much more to me now than it ever did um and if this ever does reach mandy patinkin just thank you so much for your performance in that movie because it meant so much to me and my dad so thank you like that was it anyway <gasps> just missing my dad anyway okay that's it so mandy Patinkin right. sees it and he he, oh. he and his wife have this response to it mandy patinkin breaks down First in tears all, talking about it dad is taking care of you secondly it is true a hundred percent true i went outside in this castle and walked around and i kept talking to my dad and i said dad I'm going to get this guy. From the minute I read the script, I, I knew. I said to Kath, I said, I'm going to do this part because in my mind, if I get this six-fingered guy, that means I kill the cancer that killed my dad and I'll get to visit my dad. 
that moment was coming. I went and I played that scene with, with uh, Chris. And, uh, and then I went back out there and talked to my dad. And so you can talk to your dad anytime you want, anywhere you want. If you could somehow let me know your dad's name, because I say prayers for everyone I've ever known. And now I feel like I know you, and therefore I know your dad. And I will list his name in my prayers every day. Uh, and they make me feel like they're with me wherever I go. And I'd like your dad to hang out with me. He has a prayer list, which just yeah. broke my heart. It was so earnest and real. And we were talking about like how heartwarming it was. And Matt actually was like, yeah, that's a big, big difference from the Manny Patinkin that has that horrible reputation for being so difficult and an anger and having an anger management problem and Tony Collette you know once gave an interview and said that he had to apologize for because he was so mean on set mm -hmm. and yeah. like Jeffrey Tambor I think was the implication but apparently he has acknowledged that anger problem Mm-hmm. And, and done some work on himself over the years. That's right. Yeah. In 2013, he gave an interview with New York Times Magazine. The headline is literally, Mandy Patinkin, colon, I behaved abominably. Um, I love that. At this point, he had been on Showtime's Homeland, where he right. played the character Saul. He was known in the industry. I think he was also known on that show for being a difficult person to work with. A temperamental right. actor someone who has a reputation for not being pleasant if other actors mess up their lines. He um, attended Juilliard. I guess he didn't technically graduate. He's, you know, won a Tony Award. He's a serious actor, and he apparently comes with serious actor dickhead energy, or did for a while. And so in this article, he says... He was on the show Chicago Hope, and he was also known on Chicago Hope for being a complete dick, and apparently he wouldn't take direction or criticism from any of the directors on Chicago Hope. So he says to the New York Times in response to this, I worked with unbelievably gifted people, so there I was saying, don't talk to me, I don't want your opinion. I behaved abominably. I don't care if my work was good or not, if I got an award for it, because I'm not proud of how I was then, and it pained me. So I thought that was, we were, we found that, that refreshing. We, that's refreshing, especially because it's pre-2017. It's pre as the father of a daughter. <laughs> that's, it's pre as a father of a daughter. Yeah, yes. 2013. So he was taking accountability for being a dick on set and we believe him that hurt people hurt people that's right and that if he was missing his daddy back when he was making that movie which it was the 80s the princess bride he was yeah he was missing his daddy and he even talks about his dad in that new york times um it's piece. it's pretty powerful there's a photo of him as a little boy with his dad I think his dad dying was um, hugely traumatizing for him. I mean, of course it was, let's, but um, let's get him on the show, Mandy. I know, right? It, you want to talk about it a little more? We're here. Yeah, exactly, Mandy. This is an open. We, we know you're dying to do podcasts with people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we loved our dads too. <laughs> <laughs> we really did. We also loved our dads.
Um, we love our dead dads. Yeah. So and his dad was named Lester, and he died when he was 19. So anyways, Mandy, thank you for your accountability and also being a kind and gentle man to this woman who was grieving on TikTok and missing her own father who just needed your soothing words. Yeah. Soothing acknowledgement. All right. That, wow. That's a wrap. Thanks, Erin. <laughs> Thanks, Miss. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode with another Tell Me About Your Father. You have a fascinating interview coming up with a woman Ooh, whose father was so good. the CIA. The CIA, dude. Her dad was literally a spy, and she helped. Mm, dun, dun, dun. I know. Very exciting. Tell Me About Your Father and Daddy Issues were created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. All episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, Stitcher, really anywhere. Follow us at Tell Me About Your Father on Instagram and Facebook and at TMAYF Podcast on Twitter. You know how it is. You gotta rate the stuff you like. Review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think.